Welcome everyone to Jubilee Street, a music podcast. Happy 2023. I'm Ian McCurtis. I'm gonna go. Jake Curtis is with me. Blue the Intern Dog's with me. Buffy the HR Dog's with me. And today we're kicking off the year with one of my absolute favorite albums of all time. I think it's up there for Jake too. We're talking about 1997's Lonesome Crowded West by Modest Mouse. There was a podcast named Jubilee Street, a music podcast hosted by Jake and I'm speechless. Because the intro was so good. Yes, the intro was that good. I lost I, I lost my voice for a second. It was really, really good. Happy New Year, Jake. How are you doing? But I'm also... Sp- I, I, I'm doing pretty good. I am just happy to be in 2023. I had a long conversation with my partner last night about what the future looks like. And I'm pretty excited that we're going to be like starting to pack up the apartment, getting ready to move and not quite sure where we're going to land yet, but it's seeming more and more like cemented and we've, we've starting to get it. We're starting to get a plan together. And I'm also excited about the podcast. I've been spending a little like more time than usual on it. Like I, I think anyone that listened to the Jubies episode, I I've been doing some sound effects and I've wanted to do that since the beginning and I just was lazy so I'm excited to keep building on that and just working on my YouTube channel. Everything's good. I, I had a really hard end of the year for 2022, and I'm just glad to be on the other side of it and working on things. How, how about you? How, how's your New Year so far? Well, it's been quiet. Courtney's been out of town uh, visiting family. But yesterday, I'll do a quick Ian's Wrestling Corner. Yesterday was one of the best wrestling, one of the best days to be a wrestling fan I've ever had. I woke up. At 4 a.m. to watch New Japan Wrestle Kingdom. Kenny Omega's grand return to Japan. Uh, hasn't wrestled there since like 2018, since starting AEW. Him and Will Ospreay had one of the top five matches I've ever seen in my life. And then Wednesday night, AEW. So, you know, within 24 hours, two great shows. AEW's first show in Seattle. <laughs> Hometown hero, Brian Danielson. Darby Allen. Just a lot of, a lot of great matches. Sorry, I gl- my eyes glazed over for a second because I, I'm not a wrestling I, guy, I but I'm happy that you enjoyed it. You, it, it, it's, it, it was perfectly succinct. And for our wrestling fans who cross over as music slash Nick Cave fans, they're going to really get a lot out of that, I think. Shout out Kenny Omega. Shout out Kazuchika Okada. Shout out Jay White. Shout out the great Muda. Did you mention the thing about uh, One Winged Angel? Kenny Omega, who, that who, was the coolest. Who, whose finisher is the one-winged angel, one of the uh, most destructive finishers in wrestling. Only one person has ever kicked out of it, ever. And Sephiroth, and he, who is... I think maybe as a thank you for him coming back to Japan, New Japan licensed the Sephiroth uh, a theme for his entrance music. Never done that before. <laughs> It's like 5.30. I'm sitting in my living room, and I am just like going nuts. 
rock hard. I'm just like, this is fucking awesome. <laughs> I'm asking my dog if she if she thinks it's awesome too. Of course she did. Buffy appreciated it. I bet Buffy loved it. She's a big wrestling fan. Yeah, dope entrance. I love. Let's love jump good. right into the the the, the uh, elephant in the room. Jeremiah Green of Modest Mouse passed away, I believe, January 2nd. Thoughts, feelings, I mean, uh, initial reactions? Uh, one of the best drummers in indie rock. I, think, I don't think anyone would disagree with that. I think that's pretty unanimous. And it's just sad because it, it came out that he had stage four cancer. I think his mom or like a brother made a social media post that then kind of made the rounds. But then when Modest Mouse mm-hmm. announced it, they, they made it sound like things were turning up, and then a few days later, he was gone. So, very sad. And th- this is an album that's important to both of us. We would have got it around to do an episode on it at some point. I don't want to try to, you know, be like people who are, like, trying to profit off of a tragedy or use it for content, but I, I-, I think we both felt like this was a, a good chance to remember him and spend some time with Modest Mouse. Yeah, yeah. I, I think this is what he wants. He wants people to listen to his music. He wants people to talk about it. I mean, what, what a, like, other than just enjoying making your art, I feel like it feels good as a creative person to have somebody share your work. So I think this is in good faith. I thought this was a good one. A good. We're going to do another Modest Mouse episode, but I thought this was a good one to start on because... This is all speculation. I don't know how long he knew he had cancer or I don't know any details, but they just did a tour where they played this album from front to back. And Modest Mouse is not the type of band that really does those types of things. I was pretty surprised they were doing one of those tours. But I would assume this is a, an important album to at least the, the trio that made it, Isaac Brock and Eric Judy and Jeremiah Green. Judy, I looked it up, and the official uh, date of death for Jeremiah was December thirty first. So New Wasn't Year's Eve. Wasn't that the same day we found out MF Doom passed? I know he died on Halloween. I believe didn't they announced it. I believe we found out right around the New Year twenty twenty one. I think. Yeah, that I think he'd been dead for three months though, right? Like he died in October. I want to say and no he died on Halloween because we were like, how perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's correct. Um, I am sending that to Buffy to fact check, but we'll, we'll, we should get back to you within 24 to 48 hours. So, What do you want her to do? She's, she's typing with pause. She can't do it that fast. Lonesome Crowded West is a pretty legendary album in rock music, and, and rightfully so. I, I think it's pretty... Even if it's not your favorite Modest Mouse album, I think you know people could argue between this Long Drive, Moon in Antarctica, Good News, I mean... Really, those first four are pretty flawless. Um, this one does seem like the most influential on bands to come and, and and just such a cohesive statement. I think this is a really... It can't be overstated how important this album is. Yeah, uh, so I don't listen to Modest Mouse as much as I did probably 10 years ago. You mentioned that this is like a once-a-year listen or once-a-month listen, right? I, I probably... I probably don't ever go more than two months without listening to this album. The interesting thing is that whenever I think about my favorite Modest Mouse songs, I think of this album first, Cowboy Dan, Trailer Trash, Teeth Like God's Shoe Shine, uh, 
uh, lounge, closing time, Trucker's Atlas, Bankrupt on Selling. I love those. I think of uh, songs from It's a Long Drive, and I think of songs from Interstate 8, and um, I always get this title wrong, so forgive me, but it's uh, Making Something Out of Nothing or Nothing Out of Something. Yeah, Building Something Out of Nothing, I believe. Building Something Out of Nothing. I like all the er- I like all that early stuff. Their sound changes a little bit with The Moon in Antarctica. I still like that album and Good News, but I'm not as... I wouldn't call myself like a modern Modest Mouse fan. And I started um, Golden Casket, and I listened to it. I liked it, but I didn't come back to it. So after after we record this, I'll probably try, give, chilling, try giving that a listen. An extra chilling title, considering what just happened. Yeah, yeah. Um, it makes you wonder if they're going to put him in a golden casket. They're, that would be kind of poetic, right? Like symbolic for the band. I don't know. I'm, I'm just glad that they... Because I think the album before that, Strangers to Ourselves, is pretty much garbage. Like, I don't like it yeah. at all. So I'm glad that Jeremiah Green got to go out on a high note because I think Golden Casket is excellent. Have you seen that... I, I don't I don't know if it's a show or if it's like a one of those IFC like documentary now things, but there's a there's an, a sh- an episode of the show where the, uh, this person... She's really funny. I can't think of her name. She was on SNL. Um, she's not on SNL anymore. Uh, she's got like red hair and she's got kind of a goofy grin. She's in a, an episode of I Think You Should Leave. Um, Are you talking about do you know Vanessa this? Bayer? Vanessa Bayer. There's an episode of this show. I don't know if it's her show oh, like that's that. on Amazon She where she interviews Modest Mouse and it's like kind of a meta like making fun of Modest Mouse interview. Have you seen this? I've seen a clip of it, of like the beginning, because it's like, you know, that like staged awkwardness. I haven't seen the whole thing. Yeah. But I know what you're talking about. Yeah. It's like uh, on cinema with Tim Heidecker yeah. or um, something like that t- between two ferns. Anyway, um, Modest Mouse exists in this interesting space in pop culture where Isaac Brock is kind of a, a like a huge deal. But he is also simultaneously like kind of a wimp and a loser figure, which is fascinating to me because I feel like rock and roll icons even now are not like that. And he's got like the lisp, the weird guitar playing, the whammy bar, the sort of like skater punk, like crusty punk aesthetic. But their music's not really punk music it's not really hardcore music but there's yelling there's choruses there is you know sort of an, an energy of chaos and discord i mean the lonesome crowded west is just all about like parking lots concrete r- being on the road like it's an album that's all about like being a band and what it was like for them starting out at the, in this era but it's also about like Uh, I watched this Pitchfork documentary and they used a good term that I liked, which is it. They, uh, Isaac described it as like the mollification of the West. And it's, 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 it's really fascinating because Modest Mouse doesn't sit in a genre area for me. They sit in this time capsule where there'll always be, and they always still are where they're Modest Mouse. They're not like this band that is like a indie band. They just, they're just modest mouse. Yeah, I agree. They, they really have carved out their own space 
in music history. They came up very influenced by Built to Spill. They quickly shed that. They don't really fit in with other bands like Sleater Kenny and stuff from Seattle, Washington, slash Oregon area. They don't fit in with, you know, I think there's a lot of Fugazi influence. They don't fit in with that scene, like Cursive, Fugazi. And then when they broke through to the mainstream, they don't really fit in with, like, the Killers and Franz Ferdinand and that era of bands they broke through with. And now they just exist, like, almost in this, like, cult following world, like a Dave Matthews or a Grateful Dead. Like, there's, like, this cult kind of... Yeah, they really, like... A lot of bands you can... I can say Touche Mori, and I'd be like, oh, they're in uh, the, the scene with La Dispute and, like, uh, Drug Church, blah, blah, blah. Like, most bands, you can be like, Kendrick Lamar, he's got his record label. He's, you know, SZA. And, you know, a lot of bands have, like, a crew of bands you associate with them. Modest Mouse doesn't, really. Built to Spill is the closest one, but they're so different. Yeah, I don't even... Th- I, I understand the comparison vocally and music wise because built spills also kind of in that weird space where they're not quite like a big stadium band but they their sound is like that and like well i mean that was a huge influence on isaac brock that's Mm -hmm. you know built to spill was a few years older than them and were very influential i can hear a lot of um pavement in there too yeah and I think he says in the, the Pitchfork documentary I watched, um, there's a lot of uh, Bob Dylan all over Lonesome Crowded West. I don't know if you're familiar with this album, but the, the lyrics, I always associate this album with the Desaparecidos album, Read Music, Speak Spanish, because it's about the same exact thing. The, the suburban, you know, mall culture Crawl. coming into the West. Suburban sprawl, that's what I meant to say. Yeah, I had never listened to the De- uh, Desperacitos. I'm also realizing, too, I've never listened to... What's Isaac's side project called? Ugly Casanova. I've never... Ugly Casanova, yeah. Um, we have the album, because Courtney has, I think, all of Modest Everything Mouse. Everything Modest Mouse. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, on vinyl, but I've never been a huge fan of it. It's never clicked with me. Do you guys have the uh, Fruit That Ate Itself? I, I think she has, ev- like... There might be a few seven inches she's missing, mm-hmm. but I mean, I think we have a you uh, guys an absurd amount of Modest Mouse vinyl. Considering uh, that you picked up a lot of stuff from me when I moved, helped my mom move in 2020, you probably would have gotten it for me if you didn't already have it. So you do, you, you guys probably have it. That was a weird sidebar. Uh, you talked about the Grateful Dead, and I thought that was an interesting uh, segue into the next thing I noticed upon. Revisiting Lonesome Crowded West is this band is kind of a jam band, like a jammy band. Like um, the song that sticks out to me the most with this is Trucker's Atlas. Thoughts? Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, it makes sense now, you know, every time I've seen them, I've seen them probably five or six times, they always have at least, I don't know, six or seven members, if not like 10 or 11. You know, they kind of have mm-hmm. a... a rotating cast of people they they tour with and they do it's what makes them so unique they have some jam band qualities to them they also have some like fugazi slash pixies elements to them where they can be they can explode with violence they have they have so many different elements existing within their band that don't you wouldn't think would mesh together 
But yeah, they absolutely they're they're I hate jam bands and they absolutely have a jam band quality to them. Yeah, like almost every song on this record is a testament to the natural groove this band had and the chemistry because there's just such a raw energy in some of these tracks like Lounge, um, Trucker's Atlas, like I mentioned, uh, It's All Nice on Ice. Like I, You could just listen to those songs for a really long time. And I mentioned to this, I mentioned this to you earlier this week, but this band is in, is, is in, they have pretty long songs sometimes, like going up to six or seven minutes and they don't feel long at all. Like the album just cruises by and I don't know how a band does that, you know, like prog rock bands can't even pull off something that well. Well, and I think, you know, it's easy to compare it to Nick Cave, who has a lot of long songs. And his long songs feel long. And I don't mean that in a negative way. They just feel like big epics. But Modest Mouse makes their eight-minute jam songs feel like tight three-minute pop songs. And you brought up the word pacing. And I thought that was perfect. I never think of the concept of pacing with music. When someone says pacing, I think of movies or novels. But you're absolutely right. It's the pacing. It's when we say a song feels long, it's usually because we mean it repeats too much or the specific parts are too long. The chorus was too long. The bridge was too long. They, you know, it's almost like they were like, how can we be a jam band that for people that hate jam bands like me, they like, they know exactly how long to switch parts before someone like me gets bored of it. Um, Except for that end of Trucker's Atlas. That's the one part of the album where I'm like, all right, guys. You don't like that? It, th- it goes on a little long. I mean, it's but like five minutes. If it was like one minute, that'd be cool. But it's all the long The thing that I, that I think always wins me over with Trucker's Atlas is the part where it's like, you know, there's that iconic drum beat that, and then you get that awesome riff in the beginning. You know, like he's doing his Isaac Brock stuff, and then it goes into that break where it's like, it's like this, like, pretty. It's just like the prettiest little guitar lick. And I, the way Isaac like changes his voice and it says, Well, I've been down and I've been saying I want to tell the guys the great state. Like, it's just, it's just genius to me. I agree with everything you're saying. I'm just talking about the five-minute drum solo with you. I mean, I'm just appreciating this song. I, 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 think I don't think you're song. wrong. Okay, well, that leads me to my next question. Uh, talk about uh, which songs stick out to you the most here. Like, which one do you, you want to talk about one in particular? Well, I have, you know, I sort of have a revolving relationship with this album because I listen to it so much, or like, new songs become my favorite. I, I think my favorite Modest Mouse song of all time is on this album, and that's Bankrupt on Selling, which I think is just a heartbreakingly beautiful song, and it encapsulates... I think everything this album means to me, which is, we grew up on a lot of, a lot of punk stuff, 
that was written by people our age at the time, you know, people 18 to 22, and it feels that way. And when I go back and listen to it, it makes me feel like I'm that age again, you know? Like if, if we put on good luck, it, it reminds me of being 18. The amazing yep. thing about this album, there's a few bands that, ca- that capture this. Jawbreaker's another one. This sounds like it was made by 22-year-olds, which it was. It, it sounds youthful, but it also sounds like me now. And I imagine it's going to sound like me when I'm 40 and me when I'm 50. Yeah. It like it speaks to me then and now. And Bankrupt on Selling is just the perfect um, example of that. Yeah. Yeah, that's good stuff. I feel like I can see myself sitting in a very particular place and I can remember all of these events happening around me. I remember that couch that we had that I think it was Tyler's bed for some portion of time in the first street apartment. And it was in that living room come like kitchen dining room area across from Chad's room. Mm -hmm. And I had those computer speakers that I brought from my from uh, that I had gotten from my my parents, you know, growing up, my dad gave them to me, and I remember I had I had an iPod, I had like an old two thousand five iPod, and I, or or you know what I think it was through my laptop actually because I was getting really into burning CDs and like pirating stuff, and I remember I have no fucking idea why, but I think I was going on. I know how this is going to sound current day. 4chan had, or I think they probably still uh, do yeah. have, a music forum. You know what I'm talking about? I'm on 4chan, 8chan, 16chan, 5chan. I'm a big chan guy. <laughs> I, I'm I'm not I'm I'm not being facetious or or silly. Like no, I mean I, I was spent, never um I was never a message board guy until Reddit. But well, I know I, mean, I know a lot of people that used to use 4chan. I I, I know it used to be a legitimate place too. I never posted or anything. I, I I just, you know, through like Reddit and Google searching, I would find that R slash Mew or whatever it was called, or slash Mew, mm-hmm. they would have these uh, pastiches back when like Last FM was a thing of like albums. And it would, it, it, a, lot, a lot of it was I still like, use you know. Last FM, my friend. So I think a lot of people still do. I, I, I haven't used mine in a long time. I thought that platform was so cool back in the day, though. Um, yeah, you can sync your Spotify up to it, so I just it just, you know, tracks everything. Else oh, shit. I wonder if I can get into my old account. I might just have to make a new one so I don't have all my Dance Gavin Dance dance stats from back in the day. Anyway, this is a long-winded way of me saying that I would just smoke weed, and I would sit on the couch, and I remember... It being like that, like Louisville dreary, like gray blue outside, and I'd be getting home from class or something like that. And ever since I like heard drama me in the first time sitting in that room, I just have always associated with that time of my life. Like, and I remember, you know, Cody Ray getting into a fight with a fan and falling down the steps. And I remember inviting like Morgan and Joseph and Sam, and I think, uh, Alex Parabek, I think now they're Dakota Parabek, um, over to my house, and I was just plastered drunk, like, and I just fell asleep Long on the floor. Drunk, you might say, yeah, yeah, but like, 
I think that 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 this album's mood just resonated so much with me at that age. And I think maybe that's why I don't listen to Modest Mouse so much because back in those days, this album, Moon in Antarctica, the other ones I mentioned, they were just, I mean, I listened to this album probably every day for a long time, like for a, for several months, if not like a year. So it's definitely like... It's a time capsule for, for me. That's why they exist in this sphere. That's why, I don't know, I, I just, it was a very specific feeling. And I don't, I don't know what it is, but I, I don't chase after Modest Mouse anymore like I used to. There's a sadness to it. It's sad. There's, the music is often sad to me, but it's also fun. It's been very sad re-listening to Modest Mouse the past week after what happened with their drummer because so many of their songs are about death and it's, very mm -hmm. strange. My my relationship with Modest Mouse has changed in that. So when I was listening to them back then, it, I just vibed with the songs. I just liked the guitar riffs. And I just kind of thought everything Isaac Brock was saying was kind of gibberish. I just loved the drum beats, Eric Judy's bass lines. Like, I, I, I wasn't a stoner, but it was that kind of music you just like put on and just like sit there with it, you know? And it was engaging yeah. because there'd be these moments of loudness and violence. And emotionally, I don't think they meant a ton to me. And now as I get older, all these songs that I thought were gibberish, I'm like, oh, Isaac Brock was a fucking genius. <laughs> and yeah. it's just really cool for me to like, I just always thought they were uh, one of those bands that just like, he just kind of wrote words to fill the space. And a song like Bankrupt on Selling that's kind of like, picking at capitalism and and people never being happy and he's just talking about how bullshit everyone is but then in that last verse he's like i'll go to college and learn some big words and you'll remember that guy who learned all the big words from when he went to college or whatever the last verse he's like oh i'm full of shit i'm full of shit too and that's seen so through it all seeing through it all that's such a profound thing for a 22 year old to like realize and it's so much deeper than like a punk song that just is pointing fingers at everyone else and he's also yeah. like well me me too i'm i'm a i'm part of it too yeah that's really well said ian um there's a lot of like sort of self-deprecating behavior going on at that um a, a song that I, I think is my favorite now or like one of them that didn't used to be a favorite is Polar Opposites. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah? You like that one? It's just so simple, and for whatever reason, it, it hits different now. Just I'm trying to drink away the part of the day I cannot sleep away. That's mm -hmm. just like, that's what being depressed feels like. Like, I'm just trying to fill the hours. I don't care. I'm just, it, it just like, is so true to me. So, uh, I'm so separated from the like lore of Modest Mouse, but Isaac Brock had a struggle with drugs and alcohol throughout his life, right? Yeah, I mean, I think he's just... I think that that's probably why I resonate so much. Not the struggle with drugs and alcohol, but just struggling to be happy, struggling to feel mm -hmm. stable, struggling... Yeah, substance abuse. He's just a guy who's had struggles with everything. Yeah, that's interesting. Um I mean, like, unfortunately, like most, most of our great artists, you know. Well, I, I think that's probably another reason why I feel like I don't connect, like I connect with the music still, but I, 
don't want to engage with it as actively because it reminds me of what was happening around me in those years. And, you know, I was getting stoned and drunk a lot back then. And a lot of stupid things, doing a lot of stupid things, a lot of stupid things were like being done around me. Like when, like Cody would just get into a state where like he would, just go out in the street in his boxers and like rip things off of cars. And it was really funny in the moment, but I also remember always kind of being in this state of like, like I feel like if I'm around this too long, I'm going to get in trouble. And that's kind of how Modest Mouse reminds me is like, there's like a tipping point where you can drink a little bit too much for the pain to go away. And I think it just reminds me of some like, uh, sad memories from my past. And I, I'm realizing the older I get that Modest Mouse is like, they're just in, they're just a deeply like introspective and intelligent, emotionally intelligent band. And especially I think, I don't know. I feel like Isaac Brock has gotten his flowers and then some, but he really has written some of the best lyrics of all time with these out with this album and many of the other ones. I think I've learned as I've gotten older that I'm just built different, as the kids would say. So I, I know about you, and I think this is how most say less. people are. Say less. I remember one time I, I went and saw a play with you, and it was very disturbing, and you had a bad time after. And, like, that's how most people are, and, I, and I'm just weird in that. Wait, what play was it? Um, it was like, I don't remember what it was called. It was like an interactive play at a house. Oh, where, yeah, yeah. Um, I remember having a pretty weird reaction to that. And for whatever reason, however my brain works, like for me to deal with my shit, the, the reason I've, I've managed to be happy in life, a lot of that involves taking in really sad, depressing art. It makes me feel better. And I don't think that's how most people are, but... That's just how I work. So listening to these depressing Modest Mouse songs makes me happy. It's funny that you bring that up. I I think about that play pretty often, and I, I remember it fondly, actually. I don't remember that that weird feeling afterwards. It's, it's interesting that you remember that. I mean, it was, it was a really cool experience. Yeah, it was really awesome. Like a cool, just a cool thing for somebody to do. And I think like Mike was like going through everything. Like you were encouraged to like go through everything and kind of invade the privacy. Yeah. So it was a thing. I think this is like common in like New York and LA, like big cities. For me, you know, 22 in Louisville, this was like the most mind blowing concept. It was a play where it was staged in a house and you just watched a woman getting ready for a party and you could just go through the house. There were like no, uh, journals of the characters you could look through and see what kind of stuff she had in the fridge. And you were encouraged to explore, but you're supposed to engage with her as the actress. Uh, mm -hmm. Well, I mean, you were like invisible. She didn't talk to you, but you were supposed to be focused on her. And our friend yeah. Mike just went to the kitchen and I think started making some ramen noodles. <laughs> <laughs> Which I don't think is what they meant when they encouraged you to explore, but... It, That's uh, Mike the, for you. The, the actress loved it. We talked to her afterwards. Yeah. I mean, you open yourself up to that kind of uh, creativity when you when you have mm -hmm. a, like a sort of 
social experiment like that. Yeah, that was really cool. Um, yeah, I feel so you I though wonder- on, on what you were saying about uh, engaging with sadness to feel seen. I think that that's an important uh, feeling. I, I think that's what it is for me. It's like taking in really sad music all the time makes me feel like not alone. It gives me a sense of connection. And I'm like, okay, all these people like turned their shit, their baggage into something beautiful. And I can do that in my life too. It's just like a constant reminder, you know, that we can, we can turn bad stuff into good stuff. Hell yeah. I'm curious. So... I didn't engage with Modest Mouse um, in full albums until, um, maybe until you did, maybe until our early 20s, late teens. But I, I remember hearing them as a kid because Float On became such a huge song. And uh, what's the other one? Um, you wasted life, why wouldn't you waste the afterlife? Is that Whatever like that uh, Ocean Meets Salty? Oh, Ocean Breeze Salty, yeah. One Breeze of my salty, favorite Modest yeah. Mouse songs. I just couldn't remember the title. It's got a great guitar riff in the beginning. As so many other songs do. Um, but our friend Chad's brother would drive us to school, and he had just a few, like two or three CDs he would listen to constantly. And one of them was a Modest Mouse mix CD. And it probably had like three or four songs from all the albums up until then. Um, the first four albums. So I remember hearing, uh, like, Jesus Christ was an only child doing the cockroach. Heart Cooks Brain, that might have been the only three. And then there was a girl. There was a girl I, I was crushing on hard and hung out a lot with uh, freshman year of college, Aaron, and she made me a mixed CD with Teeth Like God's shoes, Shoe Shine. And then eventually I heard the whole album, so I knew, like, half the songs, but... But did you did you hear this album all at once, or were there songs you knew before? My relationship with Modest Mouse was that James Rooney really liked them, and uh, James Rooney and I had been in a band, and then we had like a falling out, and I kind of like shat on Modest Mouse all the time without having listened to him. <laughs> I don't know. I was kind of deviant in that way, but. I think something clicked for me and I just decided to download one of their records and I listened to the entire thing. And it was this one or was it Long Drive? Long Drive. And then I bought the CD for Lonesome Crowded West after this one. I've always wanted a physical copy of Long Drive, but I don't really collect records anymore. But it's one of my favorite albums of all time, probably in my top 10. So uh, it's something I'd like to... Like, even if it was just a CD, I'd like to have a copy of it. Yeah, this, so this is the one for me, and I don't know if I could ever pick a favorite album of all time, but this is, on whatever list I would make, this is top five, top ten. This is just an extremely perfect album in my book. Yeah, I. so I was thinking about, we. I think other perfect albums we've talked about, uh, Kid A, I think by Radiohead. Um, wouldn't be a top 10 album for me, but yes, it's, it's perfect. And then I think, um, Channel Orange. Yeah, I think Channel Orange. So when I think about like what makes an album perfect, I think it's imminently listenable, which means you can return to it at any time and it's, it hasn't waned in quality and you can engage with it on a new level as well. So like, I think that's... That's the main thing. What I said earlier when I was like, this album feels different to me at 31 than it did when I was 21. Mm-hmm. That's, that's when you know you made something special. 
And I also had a similar experience with polar opposites and long distance drunk that I feel like I hadn't really engaged with those songs as much when I was really into Modest Mouse back in the day. In fact, I feel like I usually listen to the first like eight tracks the most. And then I would listen to tra- get to Trailer Trash and then I'd put something else on, like Brand New or Thursday or Radiohead or something like that. I had that song Division Street stuck in my head today. Lights out on Division Street. That, that exact part. I don't know if like, I might have been doing something at work and saw the word Division. I don't know what, what brought it on. Good, uh, good song. Uh, that was my first Thursday CD, so I know that song pretty well. I've listened to it a lot. Super overproduced, I think, though. Like in comparison to Full Collapse, it just had this like... Oh, no doubt. Way too... Like, I think they fixed it later, like with it's, no It's when they signed to a major label and, yeah, you know, the, the yeah. record company was like, we need you to be the next, uh, whatever, Blink-182. They used. Day. Anyway, so it's tough for me to canonize this as like a top 10 record because I also kind of feel like there's a, there is a nostalgia quality with long drive and I don't really want to make this a call if I think this is a perfect album or not yet until we do our episode on long drive, because I feel like these two are the ones that I gravitate the most towards. But Modest Mouse is also a band where individual songs are almost more important to me than whole albums. Like mm-hmm. I was talking about, um, so I didn't know until today and I had probably heard it, but I didn't space it out in my head because I'm not always as curious about this stuff, but there's two versions of broke. There's one on the interstate ADP and there's one on, um, building, uh, nothing out of something, something out of nothing. Mm-hmm. I'm always going to get that wrong. Even no matter, I looked at, I looked at it like 10 times today to, rem, to try to memorize it. I still get it wrong. And I think that version on Interstate 8 is better, but like, that's one of my favorite Modest Mouse songs. Edit the sad parts. Edit the sad parts is a masterpiece. And I don't know if you know the story about this song. You've told me before, but for the listeners who haven't heard, tell them. So the lore, I don't know if this is true or this has become like a myth, is that the song was so sad that I guess Eric Judy and um, why can't I remember his name? Jeremiah Green uh, were like, you gotta like, you gotta take some of the lyrics out because it's like too depressing and the story is that how, that's how the song became known as Edit the Sad Parts because he had to edit the sad parts out and it's still a really sad song so you're like, what did it used to be? Yeah, I know, right? I, I imagine there's got to be a cut of that floating around somewhere that's in the vault. May never hear it. I almost don't want to hear it because I like, I like the myth that exists in my head. You know, the myth, the myth, the myth is almost more fun than the reality yeah. of it. So yeah, I don't know, I don't know. Um, but that's that, the thing about Modest Mouse is they, the EPs and the collections of like Lucy's and singles from this era up until, you know, uh, good news for people who love bad news. All that stuff is great. As good as any of the stuff on the albums. Well, I think what's interesting about uh, Lonesome Crowded West is that they were building on a theme that they would continue. Like, there's always a song like Jesus Christ Was an Only Child on one of their albums. There's always a song like Bankrupt on Selling. And there's always a song like Teeth Like God's Shoeshine. 
There's mm-hmm. always something like that on each of their records. Like um, Wild Pack of Family Dogs comes to mind as far as like sort of an acoustic cut. Mm-hmm. Um, fuck, what's that one song called? Um, Blame It on the Tetons is kind of like a bankrupt on selling. What? There's a track on um, Moon in Antarctica that sounds a lot like Lonesome Crowded West with a little bit better production. And I think it's Rat something. It's not King Rat, though. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I came as a rat. Came as a rat. I love that song. And I think that there's some themes they're carrying over from Lonesome Crowded to this record. I mean, that's obvious. I'm just, I, that's an obvious thing, but like, they've just always kind is, of been is that the one that themselves. Starts, I was in heaven. I was in hell. Believe in so neither, good. but. No, I think that is the song on Lonesome Crowded West. Oh, that's doing the cockroach, not yeah. I came as a rat. Which doing the cockroach? Let's talk about that. That that's like a, it's kind of a, a little little banger. Oh, it's a huge banger. That's uh, I love learning modest mouse songs on guitar. That's a uh, one of my favorite riffs to play. That beginning one. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm yeah, mm-hmm. I think I think that that middle of the album is full. I mean, that Cowboy Day and Trailer Trash. Those are like three of the most loved modest mouse songs. So that reminds me, because of the energy that you get from, you know, the chorus from doing the cockroach, you know, the, the like, build-up and climax and teeth like, like God's shoe shine. First question, was there moshing at Modest Mouse shows? There had to have been, right? Yeah, someone on, on the Louisville subreddit just asked about this the other day after Jeremiah Green passed. Apparently, they played at a, a coffee shop bakery in 1996 in Louisville. And they said it was like essentially a house show, and there was like 30 people there, and it was crazy. <laughs> and that's yeah. so cool to me. And I think you're right there. This era, up probably up until Moon and Antarctica, when they kind of blew up before they would blow up again with Load On, there was probably moshing. And that reminds me of. I brought up that mix CD that that girl made for me that had teeth like God's shoe shine. I think she put it on there because she knew I was into punk mm. and that was like her closest connection. She was like, Oh, this is kind of like a punk song. She was like, it's either this and, or I do an entire Aquabats album. And <laughs> shout out Aquabats. What a great band. And I probably thought that was weird then, but now I'm like, oh, that was wise beyond your years. Teeth Like God, Shine is such a punk song. She really planted that so seed, then. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So there's two but bands. Yes, definitely, definitely oh, moshing in this era, I think. So my next question, there's two bands for me that I've wanted to see from like with, within a certain era. One of them is Modest Mouse. And I always, I always used to tell people, I'd give anything to see Modest Mouse between 1995 to 1997 live. Mm-hmm. The other band is, who do you think? I think the other band for you would be like 1999 at the drive-in. Yes, exactly. Is, is that it? Oh my God, yeah. I can't believe I got it right. Yeah. Wow, what a, what a clutch move by <laughs> me out of all the bands to pull that out. I can't believe that was the right answer. Yeah, uh, that's, uh, honestly, uh, year-wise, I think that's probably... Right before relationship, if not the year relationship at Com- no, I think relationship at command came out in two thousand one. I would I want to see them before that, like when they're touring and pl- maybe playing tracks from it that are unfinished. 
I'd give anything for that. And I think that explains in a nutshell why I don't fuck with Modest Mouse now. Like, and I'm not saying I don't fuck with that. Like, I like their music, but I don't fuck with new Modest Mouse because it feels, they feel too festivally. And I realize how I'm going to sound here. And I know I'm not alone in these feelings, but they sound pretentious. But when a band gets so big that you can't, like, there is just something special about the experience of seeing a band in a crowded bar that I got spoiled on by seeing bands like Mountain Asleep, who I think is very inspired by Modest Mouse in some ways. Um, very similar, like, thematically, mood-wise, as far as, like, being very fun and, like a, like, a great band to see. But their lyrics are really depressing and sad. Um, mm-hmm. And I think... That was always my thing is like, I loved Modest Mouse, but it was like 2010 and they were touring in big venues. And I didn't really, mm-hmm. I, I was like, I was like, maybe if they went to headliners, but I feel like they just always played like the palace and like big places like that. And for me, I don't know, like I made the compromise for Paul McCartney cause he's Paul McCartney, but it's, it's, it just doesn't feel like the same experience seeing it like somebody in a big venue, which sucks because that means that they have they're making money off their art. Like they're so famous that they are making enough money to just be able to be Modest Mouse. And that's what's like annoying to me about that opinion that I have because it's just like, why not just love them in whatever iteration they're in? But it is what it is. I actually agree with you. Not to the extent that I don't fuck with new Modest Mouse, but I mean, I don't really... I think the songs on We Were Dead are great. Johnny Marr and Isaac Brock playing guitar together, badass. Mm-hmm. But I don't like the... It's too poppy. I don't like the disco drum beats. I I don't care for it, and I really didn't like the album after that at all. And almost... I, I've seen them like five or six times, but almost every time was either outside at an amphitheater or at a music festival, and... You're right. It just doesn't. Modest Mouse is also very hit or miss live. Like, mm-hmm. is Isaac Brock having a good day or not? Like, are they? That depends on if they're going to have a good show or not. And like, I've seen them play great shows and I've seen them play horrible shows. And the best time I ever saw them was at the Louisville Palace. And I think it's because it was inside. All focus was on them. There's no outside distractions. It felt more intimate. It felt more subdued. You know, it's dark. And I and they seem to play a better set list because of that. I think you're absolutely right. I don't think they translate as well to the festival setting. I have nothing else to add because that's exactly how I feel. I feel like if I saw them, at, like if like it'd be kind of like when we went to see Frank Turner at the Mercury Ballroom, which I think even that would be a better venue to me than like a like. Maybe Iroquois Amphitheater. I'm not trying to sound like a stick in the mud, but at that... That's, that's I've I'm, seen them twice at the Iroquois Amphitheater, and it just it just feels different seeing a band outside. It's also really fucking hard to play music outside in fucking Kentucky whenever it's not... like There's like one month out of the year where it's like 100% comfortable to be outside. Well, you're a sweaty boy. I don't like... I don't like the heat, that's for sure. But um, side note, do you know if Isaac Brock has ever been in a video game? I don't. Has he? Are you about to tell me he was a character in Death Stranding? I looked him up. I looked him up, and I don't believe he has, but it's just a fun little question. If he were in a video game, which game would he be 
uh, of the most, like the best. Well, how how would you use his likeness the best? This is you're gonna be real dumb. I don't even know what the game's called, but I've seen all these videos the past couple of weeks. I don't know if you've seen them of this new game on Xbox that Justin Roiland was like spearheading. It's called High on Life, right, or something. High on Life. Yeah, and. I think Isaac Brock is a character on there with all the little videos I've seen. It's so funny. His <laughs> well, it, voice, you know, it wouldn't be surprising like because be they they used a bunch of like famous actors to do voice acting in that. Mm-hmm. So, um, so just uh, prisoner of the moment, I would say that one. So I I guess Isaac Brock used to be into skating. What if so, he played Mario instead of Chris Pratt? Oh my god, it'd be awesome! I saw this interview with. Uh, that he did where the first question was like, you know, uh, so how are you doing today, Isaac? And he's like, I'm not going to answer that fucking question. And he takes a drink <laughs> and he, and he smokes a cigarette. And then he's oh. like, he has that, you know, he has that, he has his lisp and he's like, I'm just kidding. Like, I'm going to answer the question. This is going to get, this is getting recorded and somebody's about to see this and think I'm an asshole. <laughs> but anyway, um, I, I think he would be a great character in a Tony Hawk game because he used to be into skating. And I think I think like they could do like a whole like modest mouse expansion pack. And there's like a mm-hmm. there's like a there's a, a stage that's just a highway. There's another stage that's like a that's like a king rat stage where you can like it's just a giant stage made out of a rat. And you can like grind on the tail and do, you know, uh, vert tricks and the rat's belly, like in like you know, uh, inverted belly. You can do like shit like that. I don't know. I just thought that mm-hmm. I just think that would be fun. Th- that reminds me, I did want to bring up I do love that they've kept this sort of like punk fuck you energy. The Tony Hawk thing reminded me of that in the interview you talked about. Uh-huh. Like they they famously don't play float on sometimes like festivals. I think, I mean, they might just be sick of playing the song, but it also might be like, if you only know us for this one song, we're not even going to play it. Yeah. And yeah, I remember the first time I saw him was at Forecastle and... Forecastle is a music festival in in Louisville, and I, what would you say the vibe of it is, Jake? It's kind of like got a hippie vibe. Uh, I've gone on. To. I've gone on record before to like be pretty judgmental of music festivals, but Forecastle just kind of has this like ooze quality to it. Like it just feels kind of sl- slimy, and it's, it's not in, great. It's in the dead of July, so it's like. I, like, I never want to be outside. You know, Haley's like, oh, if we ever move back to Louisville, like, we can go to Forecastle. And I tell her every time, I'm like, you can go to Forecastle. I'll drop you off. I'm not going to go. It's probably, like, a lot of girls with, like, body paint and Native American headdresses. You know, that deal. I, I and, think I think it's different now. I think it's, like, they're wearing the headdress, but they're wearing an Angela Davis t-shirt. So they're, like, halfway yeah. there. Oh, that I love that. That That's really funny. <laughs> um, so I saw them at Forecastle. But they're giving the they're giving the Angela Davis T-shirts away at the op- at the at the entrance of the the show. So it it's just it's just like, it, like it, she just looks cool. I like her hair. Yeah, I just like her hair. Uh, what were you saying? I'm sorry. So I saw them play at Forecastle, and and it wasn't a great set. It was the first time I saw them, but they closed with shit luck, and they played oh my it God. so loud and so, That's so fast. Funny. And I thought it was the coolest thing ever because I could tell so many people like. We're just like, it. what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I it's a like, bad, okay. it's a bad closer. It is a, that's like some bad seeds type of shit. But that's the kind of like, even when I've seen them and they've not been good, they do things like that that I find so endearing. Yeah. Is that, yeah. that's the one where it's like, this plane is definitely crashing. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I that song feels like a fuck you on the record because everything else is like so it's not a bad song, but everything else is so like feels so composed and catchy. And even that and it's like you know, kick in the face energy is still really good. That is one and of I my least they, favorite songs. I don't know if though. they played Float On or not, but I love the idea of they haven't played Float On. Everyone thinks they're going to close with that, and they just want to get videos of yeah. Last Mouse playing Float On, and they play Shit Luck yeah. off, off the stage. I love it. You know my mentality about stuff like that. I, I resonate towards artists like going against what you expect them to do. Yeah, I like a little bit of self-destructive energy. <laughs> That's why I really liked Glass Onion, because I feel like I've been seeing a lot of stuff about how people like the first Knives Out better than Glass Onion. And I definitely think it was very predictable. It wasn't much of a mystery. But what I did like is how it seemed like this sort of tongue-in-cheek play of Ryan Johnson being like, look at all this money Netflix gave me to make a movie. I'm going to write this really funny script, and it's not going to be that mysterious. But like... So the my read on that, and, and slight spoilers, I guess. Yeah, I'm spoiler gonna, alert. I'm not going to name characters, but... Whenever I watch a mystery movie, I'm like trying to outsmart the writer. I'm like, they want me to think this, so I'm going to think that. Like, oh, that's too obvious, so it's got to be this. So I thought the way I read it was it was so smart of Ryan Johnson to make it the obvious one. Mm -hmm. Because I was like, Mm -hmm. I was instantly like, there's no way it's him because it's too obvious. Yeah. So I thought it was like kind of smart because it was the one guy I thought it couldn't be because it seemed too obvious. But that's the thing is... I, I agree with what you're saying. I thought the same thing. Like I was, I, I honestly didn't know who it was. I didn't even think it was uh, the Elon Musk analog. Um, I was I just like it was the assistant because she was hardly in the movie. So I was like, oh, it's gonna be her because you can't forget she's, about her because she's the only one who doesn't look rich because she's wearing like a t-shirt under a dress or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, I really liked that movie because to me it felt like. More, it felt a little bit more satire and less. It was more like an adventure movie, and I really liked. I just really liked that take, and it felt like Modest Mouse feels a lot like that energy where it's like they build up these familiar sounds, but they have this very. There's like a very unique take that they have on them, and I think Pitchfork kind of hammed it up a little bit in the documentary to make it sound like. Modest Mouse was like ushering in this new wave of thinking, but like there weren't a whole lot of bands talking about like, you know, how strip malls were becoming the norm everywhere in America and like sort of taking, it's kind of like those artists that you associate with like Americana and then like Modest Mouse was like an Americana band that like hated it and hated itself for it, but they... Okay, Jake, make, make us get to the drumming after this because that's what I've wanted to talk about, but I've enjoyed this conversation so much. So what you just said, the Americana thing, that is Isaac Brock is so smart in this album because he is predicting stuff that didn't happen for 20, 25 years, like shopping Mm -hmm. malls all closing down and, you know, just these huge miles and miles of big concrete buildings that just have nothing in it Mm -hmm. and working real hard to make internet cash. Like, this was 1997. Like, the internet was nothing yet. And all throughout their history, Isaac Brock has this way of uh, sort of predicting what's going to happen, especially with technology. And a lot of people gave him the side eye on this new album because he's very paranoid about cameras and AI and, and tech. And 
I'm listening to him. I'm like, I think you're right. You, you've been right all along. You were right on Lonesome Crowded West. Cold hard facts, Ian. Just straight cold hard facts. I think they mentioned somewhere in that documentary, Isaac talked about how around the time they were working on that record, there was a deal that the city made, city of Seattle made, where they were going to build a mall on top of one of the most fertile patches of land that existed in the in the country. And just like the irony of like a shopping mall, this like decadence and, you know, the sort of gonzo, like, uh, not gonzo, um, Hunter S. Thompson, like decadent and depraved kind of shit, like how this like gray, sh- brutal structure is just going to be built upon life and it's going to take life away without really giving anything to it. I do love now, what, what, Louisville doesn't have one yet, but like I've been to, in Nashville, they have an old shopping mall that's turned into this huge Mexican center with like Mexican clothing stores and restaurants. And in Indianapolis, they have a mall that was gutted out and it's all local restaurants. And I hope that stuff happens all across the country when, as all these malls close down. There's, uh, there's stuff like that here in San Diego that's pretty cool. Uh, there's like little stores packed into the back of a shopping mall that, you, that looks like it's closed. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever had an Orange Julius? I was trying to think about that because I went to J Mall a lot, Jefferson Mall in Louisville. Shout out J Mall. As a kid. Shout out Corey Lucas. And they had a Dairy Queen Orange Julius. And I definitely got blizzards there at the Dairy Queen. But I don't think I've ever had an Orange Julius. What about you? Never. I don't think I've ever had one. I don't think I have either. You know, I've had Smoothie King plenty. I didn't know this. I thought an Orange Julius was like a creamsicle ice cream. And it was just like, you know, because the way I knew Orange Julius is, like you said, they were, they had been bought by Dairy Queen and they were basically like a product that was being sold by Dairy Queen. I thought that they were like a, like it was like an ice cream treat. It turns out it was kind of a, a, a branded as healthy, but not healthy at all, like Jamba Juice kind of thing. So what I have always thought it was, and I guess maybe I'm right by how I thought it was like a slushy made out of like high C. I think that's probably pretty accurate. It's like a, it's like shaved ice, but it's like or juice. Sunny D. Ugh, God, Sunny D is so gross now. Have you ever had? Have oh, you had dude. Sunny D since? Uh, my stepbrothers would drink it, and I I didn't I didn't like it as a kid. Dude, I loved I like it as a kid. I'd go like Matt Restrepo's parents had. You know how you always have those one of those friends who had a fucking garage fridge? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They had a garage fridge that just had all those individual Sunny Ds. I would go nuts when I went over there. I'd grab like two or three out of the fridge and drink them all. Yeah, I wasn't a big fan of Sunny D or Hawaiian Punch, but I, I love some Juicy Juice. Hawaiian Punch... I feel like Hawaiian Punch was like occasionally my dad, of course he got a two liter of it and then we'd have Hawaiian punch in the fridge. We were big, you know, you know this about my family. We were big Gatorade and Kool-Aid people. We always had a pitcher of Kool-Aid. I, what I, there was like a blue lemonade flavor. It was like a blue raspberry lemonade. That was my favorite. Did, do you remember the Kool-Aid flavors where they, they didn't, they took the coloring out, but they still put the flavoring in? Yes. Those were weird. I, I, I think you got to do the coloring if you're going to go with the flavor. That's the best part of Kool-Aid other than how good it tastes. Okay, so I, I want to talk about the drumming some because that is what spurred on these episodes. And 
I think I think the same is Isaac Brock and Eric Judy. Like this band works the unit because they're all so similar. They all can like jam out and then get incredibly focused in. They can all get like punky. They can all get uh, very melodic. Like they just all move as a unit so cohesively. What I love about Jeremiah Green's drumming is how often he just kind of like breaks the rules. He plays drums like someone who's just learning how to play, which I know isn't the case. But I always think about Cowboy Dan, how that song, and you might not even notice this, Jake, but if you re-listen to it tonight, there's no snare drum until like the end. He's hitting like a hi-hat or a tambourine on the like threes, on where Mm -hmm. the snare drum would be. It's a hi-hat instead. Yeah. It's just so cool. It's so simple, but it's like, Breaks all the rules of how you're supposed to play drums. And I, I just love all the little shit like that he thought of. This is where we need to have somebody on our podcast who is a drummer. And we need to, like, like I would love to be able to talk about this album with a drummer because, unfortunately, I know what good drumming sounds like to me, but I can't talk about it very well. And the song that sticks out the most to me with the drumming is Trucker's Atlas, which we've already talked about. And it's got that... Iconic drum beat. The drum beat is just immediately... That's what you know about... That's what you remember about the song. It's like... It's like awkward and it grooves at the same time. Yeah. And I think that's kind of Modest Mouse in a nutshell is it's awkward, but it grooves. I think another thing he was really great at and the rest of them, again, anything you say about him probably also applies to the other two. Yeah. I think a big part of what you said about how the long songs don't feel long mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is because it's not a uh, an eight-minute bad religion song where it's, you're getting pounded in the head with noise for eight minutes. They all are really good at using space. And Jeremiah Green wasn't afraid to just play a tom drum for four minutes in a cool way. Like He didn't need to play the whole kit all the time. He was... I feel like he thought of it as a percussionist and more as a drummer. Just like, mm-hmm. what percussion does this song need? Does it not need the whole drum kit? Okay, then I won't play it. Yeah. And I think a lot of people have like a lot of ego and they feel like they need to like fill up every second with so much noise. Mm-hmm. And all three of them were so selfless and giving the song space. And that's like, yeah. I, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a guitar teacher or anything, but if I taught people how to play music, that would be the number one lesson is like, learn how to give things space and learn that it's okay not to play. Solid advice, Ian. Solid advice. I mean, that's the big thing with like... That's why they, That's what they said in band class. Rests are the most important part of the song. <laughs> the older I get, there's like, you know, listen to some punk albums, the whole thing. I'm just like, it's so much like, I'm just getting blasted in the face for 45 minutes. And mm-hmm. I, I, I've come to appreciate so much just like letting things breathe and... I can drop out for this verse. I don't need to play anything. Well, it's it's kind of antithesis to bands like um, like the kind of mixing that goes on in an album like uh, God's Country by Chat Pile, which I, I think is kind of akin thematically to Modest Mouse as far as like the sort of decaying of American stru- like structure and, and society. Mm-hmm. But in their way it's like this maximalist approach where it's like every single part of the song is filled with this like crunching writhing guitar bass drum vocals whereas there's so much emptiness and slowness across 
the Lonesome Crowded West. Like, you know, Teeth, Teeth Like God's Shoe Shine starts out with one of the most iconic guitar riffs ever. Like, it just sounds stupid. But then it comes in and Isaac does the vocals and then it gets to that, you know, slow part where it's like, like it, it's, it's just, I don't know how they, I just don't know how they thought how to write these songs. Like he might be my favorite guitar player of all time. Well, that's an organic way for me to bring this up. And it really didn't, I, I, I gotta be honest with you, Ian, like, I didn't really see you as a Modest Mouse fan until you were until we were like maybe 25, 26, kind of around the time you had been with Courtney for a minute. I didn't really know well, that, that I you... I mean, that was a big... I, I've liked them since high school, like a little bit. And then Courtney, my girlfriend, is that's her favorite band. So that definitely is what turned me in. You know, I, I wasn't a huge fan until I, until I started dating Courtney, for sure. So... That is accurate. I didn't really put it together until I put this album on preparing for the episode and your songwriting is so similar to this. And I mean, he's probably on how I play guitar now. He's probably my biggest influence. I just think he's so creative. Well, there's, I love like, I don't, I don't know how many modest mouse songs you know how to play, but like you look them up and you're like, Oh, that's it. Yeah. It's that simple. Yeah. Like, um, there's, I think, I think it's called Arctic. Cowboy Dan. I think it's called Arctic Sounds or like Glacier is Frozen. Arctic Sounds. Yeah. Is that the one? No, it's Gray Ice Water and it's got that riff and it's like. It's one of the best, one of my favorite songs by them. And it's just like, it's just like a G chord basically. You know what I mean? Even, even drama means sounds so complex mm-hmm. and a pretty beginner guitar player could play drama mean. Arguably the best Modest Mouse song. And I, I just, yeah, I love, I mean, that's a huge compliment to uh, Jake. I, I really appreciate you saying that. I, I love how Isaac Brock plays guitar. You, you have this way of making music that confuses me when I listen to it, but it, it, it like works really well. And I realized I had been thinking about that since I heard organs and uh, your uh, songs for beginners. And I, I just, it kind of clicked for me listening to this. And I was like, oh, wait, like your structures are like a Modest Mouse song. Like it hinges on a riff for a second. You kind of jam a little bit sometimes. There's sort of a heady, like, you know, commentary. You've got the sort of tongue-in-cheek lyrics. It just clicked for me. So I, I, I just wanted to mention that because I know how much uh, Modest Mouse means to you as a band. Yeah, I mean that that's that's definitely intentional. Uh, like that's all the time when I'm writing a song, I'm like, oh, it'd be cool if it sounded like this modest mouse song or that modest mouse song. It's definitely uh, appreciated when when I when I hear those references in your music. So, yeah, I just love the mix of like you know it's got punk elements I really like, but then it also has, uh, like you said, heady indie rock stuff going on. When you so so for the listeners, when Ian met Courtney, they met online. So they hadn't really ever been able to like meet each other until how long had you guys been talking online? Like six months, a year, something like that. Probably. Let me think. Probably 
nine months or so, but seriously, like talking like every day for probably like four months. So Courtney lived in New York. Ian lives in an, undisclosed, yeah. in an undisclosed location in the Midwest. And they met in the middle in Pennsylvania. And at that Pittsburgh. time, you had a van, didn't you? Yes. I bought a van for my grandma. You bought grandma's van. So they got to spend some time together. They stayed the night in the van and they stayed in a parking lot. And I have to wonder, when you were on the way there, did you send her lounge closing time in a link? Because there's a line and it's like, I've got a girlfriend out of the city. I got a girlfriend. I think she is pretty. I was you're, you're, you're in... You're in my brain right now. That was like a, a bit we would do with each other yeah. in the early days of us dating. Given you, you read my mind. I've never told you that. Given how much Courtney is like a super fan for Modest Mouse, I, I've always... I remember thinking that back in the day, and I probably said it to you at one point, and I don't remember, but when I listened to the album again, I was like, oh, this one just makes me think of how you met Courtney because you guys were so... like You were long distance for... I think after that yeah, happened, that was, you guys were long distance for about a year until she moved to uh, to your house. Yeah, probably in between a year and two years, something like that. That was one of those songs, I'm sure you've had this experience, Jake, where you listen to it and you're like, oh, he wrote this about me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I think I feel that way about um, Bankrupt on Selling and the college stuff, I think really resonates with me. And Yeah, he had such a, I think... Um, you mentioned like tongue in cheek with my lyrics, and that's sort of the way I look on look at life. Like, you know, when I first found Kurt Vonnegut, I was like, "This, this is me." Like, I, I think of everything through the lens of like black humor and trying not to take anything too seriously. So the way Isaac Barack writes about depression, the way it's not like melodramatic, it's not a lot of dispute. It's so, it's so like almost laughable, and it, it rings so true to me. Like. The way he writes about these serious subjects is, I feel like, how my brain works. Full of full of humor and trying to lighten the mood. I think I think in the uh, podcast they or the the documentary I watched, they mentioned he does a lot of puns and like wordplay and stuff. Oh, shout out MF Doom. Exactly. I don't know if I if I specifically asked what is your favorite song. You mentioned like half the album is your favorite song, but if you had to pick one. Long pause. Uh, I think it's probably Cowboy Dan. Yeah, that's sort of... Uh, what was the Nick Cave song where we were like, if we showed someone Nick Cave, this is the song we would show them? To me, Cowboy Dan is like... You can show someone that song and they're going to know if they like Modest Mouse or not. I can't remember what I said. I feel like our listeners probably remember better than me at this point about the Nick Cowboy Cave. Cowboy Dan but... is like everything Modest Mouse is like... It's sort of like the quintessential Modest Mouse song. I think it's a great pick. I think it's. I think you beat me to the punch because that was going to be my next question is which song from this album would you send to somebody? And I think it'd be between this and Teeth Like God Shoe Shine. Yeah, that one seems like such a... Because it was the first one I think I heard from this album. So Here's what's interesting, I though. I knew the album. When I started going to punk shows and was getting into Modest Mouse, I remember telling people that I loved Modest Mouse and Morgan Folden mentioning that she, like, in a way that was like, you know, she was like, oh, well, I know Trailer Trash. And I've always kind of put Trailer Trash as, like, the single from this album. I don't think it's the single, but um, 
if it is, great. I know my stuff, but uh, I kind of feel like that's an interesting take because Trailer Trash is kind of like that's like kind like it mentioned. It's like this is that's like one song in the record where it moves into like emo, like emo music territory where it could be like an American football kind of thing. Like as far as like falling into those like sort of childish anthems, like I think he's talking about, um, God damn, I hope I can pass high school. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I feel like this album resonated with me when I first heard it in my early twenties, late teens, but Hearing this, like hearing this, I used to always feel like I loved Modest Mouse so much when I found out about them when I was like 19 or 20. And I think the reason I don't associate you with liking them until later is because it felt like no one in my friend group really cared. I remember Cody Ray kind of being like, oh yeah, I mean, I I listened to that back in high school. So I always feel like Modest Mouse Mm. seems like a high school band and I got into it too late. Same with Radiohead. And I've always been a late bloomer, so maybe that's just in line with that. But Well, I think... I learned this later that like people I knew that I wasn't super close to, I mean, you always do this about me, but people like our friend group, like me and me and you and Chad and Cody, we would all listen to punk when we were together and we were always together. So other people assume that was all we listened to. And we all listen to a lot of kinds of music. Yeah. But I feel like a lot of people I meet later are surprised to know I like, you know, other stuff. Waxahachie. Well, even other stuff like in high school, you know, I was listening to Death Cab in high school and you know, I wasn't just listening to punk. <laughs> I'll never people. forget that Cody Ray, when Cody Ray uh, and, and I became friends and he was like, yeah, you know, Kyle used to tell us that you were, uh, that you were cool. And I just was always like, wait, you mean that kid who likes like Coheed and Cambria? And he said it with this like <laughs> disdain in his voice. <laughs> yeah. Well, his, his favorite band was Bowling for Soup when I met him. So <laughs> is a thousand times better. Than I wish he was around to hear that. I feel like that's. That's a good roast on Cody. Um, so we're, we're clicking on all cylinders because I was going to bring up Trailer Trash too because I've never known what this line meant, but I, I'm imagining same for you. It just sticks out. When I think about this album, it's one of the first lyrics I think about, that eating snowflakes of plastic forks. Eating snowflakes of plastic forks. What the fuck does that mean? I've never known. Or is he saying that they're so poor they're eating the snow? Like, I don't know what. But it like that line sticks out. It's like so iconic. Yeah, it's a pretty line. Um, isn't a snowflake like a type of hostess treat, or is that a snowball? I think that's a snowball, but maybe but it could be like a play on that. I just—it's one of those lines where like it's kind of ubiquitous. It means nothing, but you remember it. It's just evocative. It gets the people going. Yeah, it's a good line. I mean, I think that's why it's interesting to think of it as like it kind of throws a wrench in my Cowboy Dan recommendation because until you get to a certain part of Cowboy Dan, it's like kind of a dark song. It's like the darkest tone that the record gets. Um, it's incredibly spacious as far as like, there's like a whole swath of the song where it's just like a guitar lick, like... Magical. And Isaac kind of doing some spaced out like sappy vocals so i don't know i i i kind of feel like trailer trash is a good recommendation for that too because it does have those kind of you know immediately iconic lines like cowboy dan you kind of sit with it and you hear like you know you think you're walking but you're just moving the ground 
and how much that says about our like I, how humans view their movement throughout the world and as like we think we're all incredibly meaningful but we're not you know we're moving but nothing else is and it's like lonely well said another another song you could show heart cook's brain there's just so many iconic landmine oh mine i love that song Something I was thinking about when I was I was going through reading some of these lyrics, getting ready, is how much you know. So this song has like I, I feel like the part I remember is always my brain's the burger and my my, my heart's brain's the, the burger and my heart's the bitter buffalo. Yeah, but I was I was reading through some of these songs and I was like, Isaac Brock sometimes gets into stuff that's so poetic it almost sounds like me without you. Oh yeah, that there's the line the match of the century absence versus thin air. And that's such a beautiful line. And he's so much more poetic than I realized 10 years ago. Well, listen to this. Here are the bands that come to my, come in my memory during the time I liked come Modest Mouse. Come in your Mouse. memory? That's graphic. <laughs> We're talking about Providence by Alan Moore and Jason Burroughs. <laughs> um, so I think of Radiohead. I think of Modest Mouse, Brand New, The Weaker Thans, and Me Without You. All of these bands which are incredibly lyrically driven, which is so interesting. And that's what's so great about Modest Mouse and returning to this album is that you come back to a song like Heart Cook's Brain and then you think about how, I, like, I'm just, I was just, I, I wasn't even thinking about it. I was singing along to every song on this album. And then, you know, I'm like, I'm on my way to God, no, or don't care. Like, and then I, I think there's a line, like the long, something about the long stare, Inward and outward. Like, there's just so much stuff. The days go so slow. Like, it that song reminds me a lot of Custom Concern, which is interesting. And the sequencing of Long Drive, Custom Concern is the third track. This is the second. And, you know, you kind of have, like, the skid with, like, Dramamine breakthrough and then Custom Concern kind of slows things down. Kind of the similar vibe on Lonesome Crowded West. You get that blistering opener and then you get Heart Cook's Brain, which just has this... Crunchy little guitar like burner like it's great. Well, Jake, do you want to wrap it up here? We're gonna be back soon for long drive. I yeah I yeah. I mean, loved, I love doing this. I I think we both have so much to say about Modest Mouse and the, the circumstances are sad, but th this was a good chance to talk about this music that's so great. Rest in peace to Jeremiah Green. It really hit me pretty hard when I was listening to this album, revisiting it, that this band held such a totemic place in my life. And and he was the only OG left. Eric Judy quit the band like 10 years ago. So, you know, Modest Mouse is really just Isaac Brock now as far as original members. Yeah. And if they continue on, I don't know if they will. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but Isaac didn't found the band, did he? It was Jeremiah. I don't, I don't know about that. Because I remember somebody, I remember seeing a bit of trivia, if so. Obituary where it said that Jeremiah Green was the last founding member of Modest Mouse. Oh. So I don't know exactly. Um, so look into that while, while we're closing it out, if you want to make sure I'm not talking out of my ass. But like I said, rest in peace, but your music lives on. And I would say that arguably you made four or five of the best albums I've ever heard. 
So I think that's pretty awesome for anyone to have that achievement, and I'm not the only person saying that. Make sure According to Wikipedia, all three of them founded it, but you could still, like, maybe it was a deal where, like, the two of them had a practice before they brought in Isaac Brock or something. It but could it could be like a technicality. But yeah. You know what's either way, founding member. You know what's wild to me about that is I found out that he died through Nick Wilkerson posting something on Instagram that said, you know, something along the lines of like her I heard Jeremiah Green died. Uh, you know, rest in peace and you know, I hope everybody out there who was close with him, you know, is doing okay. Like he like rubbed, he probably rubbed shoulders with Modest Mouse at some point at a festival, you know? Yeah. With all the festivals White Reapers played, I'm sure he's probably met him. Yeah. I just thought that was really cool. Um, I'm, I'm lucky enough to get to ch chat with him from time to time. He's really into video games and stuff. So we talk about retro games from time to time and he loves like Elden Ring and stuff, but, uh, I digress. Um, anything else we want to talk about for Lonesome Crowded West? No, just, one of the best albums ever. Listen to it. Email us, jubileestreetpod at gmail.com. Like, rate, and subscribe wherever you listen to good podcasts. And we will be doing an episode, another Modest Mouse episode coming up in the future. So if you liked this, come back for more in a week or two. I have a question to close out. Imagine you worked at, like, uh, at a Hot Topic or something, where a place where they had a bunch of band t-shirts and... You were like, let's say you were stocking, and you're like, okay, over there's all the Nirvanas, over there's all the Red Hot Chili Peppers, uh, here's all the Misfits. And when you're when you're referring to all the Modest Mouse shirts, would you say here's all the Modest Mouses or here's all the Modest Mice? Well, Ian, I'd probably say Modest Mice. Modest Mice. Our new band. All right. Good night. Good night, everybody. <laughs>